we are in Ecclesiastes, and uh, we've been studying here the last couple of weeks uh, Solomon's writing in this book where he's working at the question, how do you find meaning in life? And he begins in this kind of this uh, sullen way in chapter 1 where he says, everything's vanity. I look around at planet Earth, and everything seems to be vanity. The word means breath or meaningless or empty. It's just not satisfying. He says it's like life, he calls it under the sun, which really is a picture of life very earthbound before uh, God has seriously been considered in his transcendence and also his imminence with us. And, and, and Solomon is going, there's got to be something more than what I'm seeing around us here on planet earth. And he goes on this search for, for meaning and satisfaction. And last week, as we worked through chapter 2, we came to verses 24 to 26, where he really turns the corner in his discussion, having looked at all the things that seemed empty to him. But he comes to this conclusion in verse 26, for to the one who pleases him, God, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, that there is a way of living with God and for God that brings purpose and meaning and wisdom and, and joy to our lives, and this is what he is searching for. It will be his conclusion in the end. But underneath this statement, that there is joy and wisdom in God, is this whole worldview that we're going to look at today, a really a view of God of how he governs the world through time and how we're to live in light of God's sovereignty and goodness. So I, I want to talk about two things this morning. First of all, the character of God. I want to look at his sovereignty that we'll see here. And I want to look at his goodness. And then I want to see and what this means to us, that God is God, and by default, we are not, right? And getting God in that right place. So those two things, the character of God and then that God is God. Now let's read verses 1 to 8 in chapter 3 this morning. Very, very famous uh, section of Scripture. So delightful to read it. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. And a time for war and a time for peace. Does that sound familiar to you and those of you who grew up in the 60s and 70s like me, right? The birds, you know, and, and the famed uh, David Crosby, who actually just passed away this year, by the way. And by the way, let's give it up for the music of the 60s and 70s, right? Come on, that, that's, that's the best music. The best music in the world comes out of that generation, and uh, I'm happy to be a part of it. <laughs> but there is, a, there is a Hebrew literary feature that's going on here um, where we see these opposite pairs, and they're meant to encompass all the activity between them, life and death and everything in between, right? Joy and sorrow and everything in between. Uh, th these pairs, all of them put together, show that God is sovereign over all the experiences 
of humans, from birth to death and war to peace and everything in between. This is the picture that is here. God rules all the moments of our lives, all the seconds of our lives, all the days of our lives, and nothing happens in our life without his superintendence of it. And that's good news, actually, and we'll see that um, as we work through this today. But he says there's both a time and a season. In other words, there's a specific time for things to happen, and then there is a season. There is a duration of those things that happen to us. Some things take a while to go through, and God is sovereign over all of that. And Solomon wants to, to know it and to see it and actually embrace it as a good thing, that God is in control of this world. And that is good news when we look at how crazy it can be. But he says uh, in verse 2 that we were, there was a time to be born and a time to die. And that in Psalm 139, we're told that he numbers our days before one of them even comes to being. Our day we're born and the day we're done has already been superintended by God. That every day we have is a gift of his. It's not an accident. It's not random. These are days God has given to us. And so we're to live them. There's a time to laugh and a time to cry and a time to grieve and a time to dance. That life is really, really happy at times. And then at times it's really sad. And we're to embrace both, right? This is important, Christians. We're to be fully engaged with both. We're told in Romans 12, 15 to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. There's something endearing about both with people. The intimacy we feel with God and with people when we celebrate with them at something like a wedding and when we grieve with them at a funeral, it is really a rich human experience. Wasn't it fun last week to have all the kids up here and laugh with them and laugh at Shelly a little bit? You know, like she's struggling here trying to wrangle the kids together. But what fun it is to enjoy life together. And I love, where's Jason Cotty? I love it when he laughs. See, not, yeah, he laughs, man. He's, but he's not, he's out protecting us this morning here. So, but I love it when people laugh. But it's also Something about grieving and sharing tears with somebody, isn't there? Um, Ryan, our mortician in Nebraska, he would always say grief is the price you pay for love. When we love somebody and lose them or something sad happens to them, it draws tears out of us. And those are sweet. Those are connecting points with us. And I, I just long for those days of, of tears when I really connect with with people. It also says there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain, and, and I love that. I love that there's a time to embrace. In fact, I love the Nebraskan culture where we hugged much more on Sunday morning. I love the Hispanic culture where they hug more often, and, and that's something I kind of miss about that. And yet, this is sad to me that there's a time to actually push away. Isn't that interesting? There's a time when you say there's a boundary in this relationship. No more. We can't do this anymore. And God says, I ordain that. That's part of life. Sometimes we have to go, no, we're not doing this anymore. He says there's a time to speak and there's a time to be quiet. James 1.19 reminds us that we should be quick to hear and slow to speak. 1 Peter 3.15, though, says be prepared to speak the gospel to those who need to hear the hope that's in you. There's a time to listen and there's a time to speak. And this is so important for Christians because words are so powerful. 
They can do such harm and they can do such good. And so we want to be careful and wise when we speak them and when we listen. When people are being harmed and when there is danger, we need to speak, Christians. Stand up to protect. And when people are telling us their story, story potentially of brokenness and hardship, we need to listen. There's such healing in listening to people and to believe them as they speak their story to us. And, and wisdom tells us which to do. So it's a whole thing. We could preach a whole sermon on this text. But it's, it's a beautiful picture of all of life that God is saying, all of this is under my sovereign care. So, so a couple observations. One is we often read the Bible and it seems contradictory to us. It says to do one thing here and it says to do something else and somewhere else in the scriptures. And that is because of really what we've just seen. There are different responses for differing times in our lives. Sometimes we should speak. Sometimes we should be quiet. Sometimes we should hate. Sometimes we should love. There's, there's right things to do, but there is a right time to do it, right? But sometimes we do the right thing in all the wrong ways, in all the wrong time, and it gets us in all kinds of trouble. And so to ask God for the wisdom to speak at just the right time. I love First Chronicles 12, 32, where it says, Issachar, the sons of Issachar, understood the times and how to live for God in those unique places. Esther 4.14 says, you are here for such a time as this. Mordecai speaks to her that there's a time to stand up to the king. And Jesus is our best example of this, who came, by the way, at the fullness of time in Galatians 4.4. He came at just the right time when the message of the gospel could be heard and heard and translated across cultures in a common language at the time. He came at just the right time, and sometimes Jesus embraced people. When people were honest in their brokenness and in their hardship, he embraced them. And yet if they were arrogant and proud, like the Pharisees, he pushed them away, right? So we want to be aware that there's a time to do both. Jesus spoke and he taught and he rebuked, and yet there was moments when he was silent before his accusers. He was one who did both of those well. So the Bible teaches different responses in different times, but it also teaches, and this is interesting about this, I think, we see that God is sovereign over both good and evil in this text. War and peace, love and hate. Notice that? And when you read through the scriptures, you see God using evil. He doesn't do evil, right? He never does evil, but he uses it to accomplish his good purposes. He brought the Babylonians against the Israelites to discipline them to push them back toward him and to be desperate for him. And ultimately, the most ultimate evil thing that's ever been done in all the world, the death of Jesus Christ and the crucifixion of the perfect Son of God, that was the greatest evil that's ever been done. He used that evil for the greatest good that's ever been for us as people. Isn't that unbelievable? Like, we gotta, we gotta see this. This gives us hope, right? There's great hope because we experience a lot of evil in our lives. We experience a lot of things that are hard, and we go, God, where are you? But we gotta know that God is with us. And He is using those things to do His good 
purposes. In the darkest days, God is doing good. So God is sovereign, but we also see now his goodness. In verses 9 to 15, we find these words. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. The question is, okay, like he's sovereign, he oversees, there's times for various things, all the range of human experiences, but what good is that? Isn't it just empty and meaningless? And the answer is no, because not only is he sovereign, and he's in control, but he is good, and we'll see this. Our God is good. I mean, imagine, imagine if God were sovereign, but he was human like us and skittish, right? And, and, and he was inconsistent, and he was prone to tantrums, kind of like the Greek gods, you know? They, 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 he, or worse yet, he was evil, in control, but he's evil. Imagine if that were the case. That would be the worst news possible. But God is in control, and he's sovereign, and he is absolutely, perfectly good. That's the God we worship. And it's the foundation for Romans chapter 8, verse 28, where all things work together for good to those who trust God and are called according to his purpose. That verse can only be true if God is both sovereign and good. And he is. So let's look a little bit how he is so good. Verse 11, it says, He has made everything beautiful in its time. I, mean, I, I love the spring. You do too. We were just up in, in Oregon here a couple weeks ago, and we went to the, the tulip farms and all these colors. And springtime is the colors of flowers. And we walk our, and I love to walk our neighborhood and, and look at everybody's work and planting flowers and they're coming up. And, and it's just beautiful, right? This is spring. It's beautiful in, in spring. And yet fall, which now is a long ways off and, and where it's out there, but there's a day when the leaves turn color. They're barely coming out now, but there'll be a day when they turn color and it's bright yellow and that's beautiful in that season. And this is God superintending the universe. He makes everything beautiful in its time. And he makes you and I, this is important, he makes you and I beautiful in time too. He's doing this good and unstoppable work of making us like his son, building in us holiness and character, teaching us to love and be thoughtful of others. This work is unstoppable and it comes in its time. It never happens fast enough, does it, right? Don't you wish you were perfect already? Don't we long to be perfect? That's a longing for heaven. We want to be changed, but God is doing it in his pace, in his time. Nothing is wasted. No pain is wasted. This is the hope of our past failures. He uses everything to grow us and to make us beautiful in his time. It also says in verse 11b that he has put eternity in our hearts. That's my favorite phrase in the whole book of Ecclesiastes. He has put eternity in our hearts. 
Are you bothered by this world? Does this world bother you? Does the pain of this world create struggle for you? Do you live through this day and say, oh, this is just like perfect? No, you long for something better. You long for something different. That's a longing for eternity. That's a longing for heaven. And it is part of what Solomon is pointing us to in this search for satisfaction and meaning. Eternity is the answer. C.S. Lewis, in a famous quote, says, If we find ourselves with a desire for nothing in this world that can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. And that's what God has put. He's put eternity in our hearts. But it also, this, this is, and this kind of struck me this week. He says he's put eternity in our hearts, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Though he's put eternity in our hearts, and though there is a God in the heaven who is sovereign and good, we don't understand all he is doing. He doesn't let us know his plan. He doesn't give us weeks ahead what he's going to do. Right? He just doesn't do it. We don't know what we're going to face in the future. We don't know what we're going to face tomorrow. I was talking about heaven with a friend, and we were at, he was asking, well, what's heaven like? I don't really know. Right? I know some. It's going to be amazing. be way better than this. promise you. But we don't know. He doesn't tell us enough in much detail. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 12 that we see through a glass just dimly. So he doesn't let us know all that he's doing so that we will trust him. Are you good with that? Like you don't know tomorrow. Are you good? Can you just trust God with that? Imagine imagine for a second if he told you what was going to happen tomorrow. Some of you would go, I'm not doing it. Right? I mean, if he told me what my first year in Salt Lake City was going to be like, I never would have come. It's gotten better, thankfully. He asks us to to trust him. We don't know the future. He doesn't give us all the details of what he's doing. He is God and his ways are above our ways and his thoughts above our thoughts. So here's what he tells us to do. This is what he tells us to sign up for. Okay? Solomon's going to swing back to this one over and over again. He said, I perceived that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat, and all God's people said, and drink and take pleasure in all their work. This is God's gift to man. So here's what we're to be responsible for. Live life, live it full, do it joyfully, do good, enjoy food, Enjoy outdoors, enjoy sports, enjoy conversation, enjoy coffee, do those things, and let God worry about the rest, because it's his. Doesn't that sound more peaceful than your life? Right? Yeah. Kayla, our daughter-in-law, wrote in her Facebook page this week, she goes, enjoy today, it will never happen again. I like that. 
So in all the joys and sorrows of life, right, and Psalm 23 talks about that. So we walk through green pasture, and then we go through the valley of the shadow of death, twists and turns that God has taken us through. He says, I will not fear because you are with me. And that is the pleasures of God, that he is with us in and through it all. That's our responsibility. Enjoy life. Then he goes on and says, verse 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. So here we see God's character. It's unchanging. It's steady. What he does stands. It's final. He's a rock. It's unchanging that we can base our life upon. This is what he's be, we're being encouraged to do here, right? Our actions matter. They do have an effect. We're responsible for them. God will hold us accountable for them. But the ultimate and primary actor in this world is God and not us. We're to rest our lives upon him. It says we're to fear him. We're to have reverence. We're to have humble submission to who he is because of his grand nature. Now listen, we read this word fear a lot, especially in the Old Testament. It's not terror, like in the face of a monster. God is not a monster. He is good. But it's awesome regard for who he is and reverence that we bow before him and worship him. And then when we give our lives to him, we are now secure and we're confident. When he gets the rightful place in our lives of center, our lives settle. Augustine said it this way, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find peace with you. And when we put God in his rightful place, we are secure. And this, this is so hard in this unsettled world. All you have to do is spend about a half hour watching the news and your life and your heart will be unsettled. And this is why God says, keep your eyes on me, right? Psalm 5.3 says, O Lord, in the morning I will direct my prayer and unto you I will look up. With everything I got, I fight for that time to sit with God just for a bit and look up and put my eyes on him and rest my heart in him. Make him the rock of my life so that I can go out and live strong and steady and with confidence with him in this rightful place. So God is, is good, and there's a lot of the reasons why he is we just saw in these verses. Now, I want to close this morning <coughs> with this. <coughs> that God is God. <laughs> Sometimes we've we, we got to think about this. Like God is, he's God. And that means we are not, right? And we get this mixed up, and we start taking on the things that are God's responsibility and not doing ours, we end up in this really horrible place. And that's what we'll see here in this text. So let's, let's look at verses 16 now and 17 and begin to um, unravel this a bit. <clears throat> Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there, was wickedness. And I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work under heaven. 
So here's the problem that Solomon now is wrestling with, is there were there was wickedness in the place of righteousness, or wickedness in the courtroom is what is being said here. That there was wickedness amongst those that were given the job to judge fairly. And Solomon says that, look it, God gets the final say. There is injustice. There are things that are happened that are not honoring to God, but God gets the final say. His judgment is certain. Over everybody in this world and over this world as a whole. I love Acts 17, 30, 31. It says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day. There's a time, there's a season. On which he will judge the world in righteousness. By a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all. By raising him from the dead. (laughs) So who's our judge? King Jesus, we will all give an account before him. Every wrong that has been done, right? Now, we're going to stand in the righteousness of Christ, so we need not stand in great fear of this, but he will judge everything that's been done. All oppression, abuse, racism, violence, hatred will be judged by Jesus. He will make all things right, and he will deal with each of us. And this is a good reason to flee to Jesus for forgiveness even now. So... What's Solomon going to do with this? And he does something really interesting here in in response to this question. And I want us to look at verses 18 to 20. This is kind of crazy. He said, I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. That's kind of how we feel when we look around at the world. People are just beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. Okay, so, so Solomon gives us a clue now how he's thinking because he uses this phrase, this is meaningless. So this is a very earthbound view now that he is taking, but he is saying that we need to trust God. And without faith in God, we are but beasts. You don't put me at the center. You don't trust me to take care of the things in this world. You live without faith, you will be like a beast. You will die just like the animals with no purpose. So he's pointing us back to to trust in him. And without God, it's just despairing. This is his point. You're no different than the dogs if you don't trust in me. You're just going to die. I, I was sitting in, get my hair cut last Monday, and uh, I was sitting in the chair getting my hair cut, and there was another lady that, that uh, was also being treated at the salon, and she could overhear my conversation. And, and unfortunately, for the people that cut my hair on Monday, they get to sort of hear my sermon from Sunday. And so I'm sharing a little bit about Ecclesiastes. And last, if you remember last week, we talked a lot about death. And I was saying, you know, we're going to die and we need to be ready to die. And, and, and the lady over there, she's about 70, she goes, this is depressing. <laughs> yeah, so hope in God, I wanted to say. I needed to preach the sermon again. Like, hope in God, it is depressing. We're just going to die like the animals. Unless you believe in God and trust in Him, 
Psalm 90, that, uh, the, the psalm that is grabbed in, in this regard, often says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children of man. It's kind of a discouraging verse, you know, that's the start. Almost all the Psalms kind of turn around and get you back to a better place, except for a couple of them, and those are scary yet. But, but he, he then says, now look, it, here's what you're to do. Verse 12, so teach us to number our days. Put your faith in God, that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen the evil. See what the psalmist does? Yeah, it is a reality that we're going to die. But turn to God and hope in him. Put your faith in him. Call out to him to enjoy life, to find satisfaction, to find purpose. Live it with your eye on him, knowing that you will have your last day at some point. Solomon is commending us to live a life of faith. It's the answer to uh, this meaningless world and the reality of death. Now in verse 21... He goes on, and it's an interesting verse. <clears throat> he says, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So, so Solomon was aware that um, there was a teaching of God that uh, humans had a different kind of destiny than the animals, but he was unsure of it. He was un unclear about it as he writes this verse. And it's a good reminder for us that there's a lot of things we don't know. There's a lot of things we're uncertain of. But God has given us everything that we need to know. This book is sufficient to guide us through all of life in our faith journey and serving Him. And so to know it and understand it, He's given us a lot of pages here on how to live, and then there's tons of things we don't know. Questions that are unanswered. And those we leave with God. This is a little bit what he's getting at. Like take what's been given, know it, understand it, live by it, and leave the rest to God. Trust his character. Trust his sovereignty. Trust his goodness. Let God be God in your life. You pay attention to what you're to pay attention to, what he's given you to do. Now go do it. So helpful, I think. And so he circles back and says to us again, like if it gets repeated in the scriptures, a key to understanding points that God's trying to get us to understand is he keeps repeating himself, right? He'll say it over and over and over again. So here we go, back again. So I saw that there is nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Okay, pay attention to what you've been given to do. Walk with me. Enjoy what I have given you to do. Relax a little. Enjoy walking with God. Let him worry about the universe and the world and the news and the trouble. You enjoy the life I've given you. Right? Oh, my gosh. That is such good news for us. 
We take ourselves so seriously. We sort of take the burdens of the world like somehow we've got to play God in our lives and it just stresses ourselves out. If we have control of one person, you know who that is? That's correct. <laughs> the wisdom of Solomon there. Us, ourselves, that's the only person, right? God's got the rest of it. So trust his character, trust his sovereignty, trust his goodness. There is so much stress in our lives. You know, and I'm working on a sermon, and my wife watches me go through this. I'm glad you don't have to watch me go through this, but, you know, it gets a little stressful about Saturday. Like, oh, if you've got to stand up in front of all these people, you know, and God says, well, hey, look at I've got this, you know. I spoke through the mouth of a donkey in the Old Testament. I can speak through you. Like, that's not a big deal. Like, just relax, right? Listen to your own preaching and do it for a change, you know. Let God be God. Don't try to play his part in your life. And then he comes back at the very end. <clears throat> concludes with this, who can bring him to see what will be after him? In other words, you're not coming back. Once you die, you're like you're going absent from the body, present with the Lord. You're done, right? This is it. You've got one little life to live, and when it's over, it's over. Hebrews 9.27 says, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. Band, you can come on up. So, in all this, what we're to do is fear God and worship Him. Stand in awe of who He is, His goodness, His sovereignty, His mercy, His grace. And perhaps the biggest reason to fear Him is found in Psalm 130, where it says, If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. God is the one who is our judge. Tremble at that reality. That God would sacrifice his one and only beloved perfect son to save everybody in this room should make us fear and tremble. That he would love us so much he would care so much about us, that he would see us as that sinful that he needed to die and was willing to do it, should cause us to tremble. It's grace. This is the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus and what he did for us. God loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish. Stand perfect and boldly before Jesus that day in his righteousness and be saved. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And then he says, Right? Okay, you're saved, right? By, by grace through faith. Now we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God be prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there's our assignment again. Believe and 
and then do what you've been asked to do by God as he's laid it out in his word. And then let God do the rest. Wait on him, right? Psalm 130, circling back to that, says, I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning. So we obey, and then we call out to him to satisfy our hearts, to create breakthroughs in our lives, to bring our children to a better place, to give us the job that we need, to bring healing to the relationships, and we trust God with that. We wait on him. We call upon him. Jacob said, bless me, God. Here it says, satisfy me in the morning. Come through for me, God. We look to him to do what only he can do. And we do what we're called to do, which is obey him. In one of the darkest seasons of my life, where every one of these truths were in question in my heart, the good gift of counselors who were much wiser than me through some of those things all these things that were in this sermon as I was thinking about this were part of what counselors were trying to teach me 15 years ago <clears throat> I was going where is God in this like, where is he is he trying to just wipe me out that's what it feels like and so my counselor said okay we're going to pray going to say, God, where are you? Where are you in this? Show us yourself. Show us where you are. And we prayed, and we took a long time just praying together. And you know what? God showed me. Like, I could see him. Like, he, like in that darkest, evil time, I could see he was there. He was there with me. Do you know the hope that gave me, would give you, like, if we could just see that God is there, that he is good, And I said, well, why? Have you ever asked that question? <laughs> why? Why is this happening? What's going on? Another wise counselor said to me, okay, let's make a list. Let's make a list of all the things it could be. Why God might be doing it. Let's make a list. He's up on the whiteboard. I'm giving all the answers. You know, I'm Pastor Kevin. I know all the answers, right? I've given everybody the answers. I know what this is like. I know how to get you. So we have about nine or ten reasons of why this could be happening. He goes, okay, which one is it, Pastor Kevin? Come on, answer me. Feels like God speaking to Job. Like, answer me. I don't know. I don't know which one it is. Okay, are you going to let God be God? Are you going to trust him? You don't know, but he does. Are you going to just give your life to him and surrender and trust him? Or are you going to try to pretend you're smart enough to figure it out and be God in this equation? relaxed and let God be God I started to see that he was with me it was the beginning of the early steps out of that dark place all the truths that we're seeing here in this text today so will you let God be God in your life will you trust him will you believe his goodness and his sovereignty over everything that you're going through and will you call out to him and wait for his answer never as fast as we want him to be, but he's got you, and he's doing good. He's creating everything beautiful in its time. 
trust in him and his goodness and to wait for him and to know he's with you. Let's pray. So let's just take this moment now, whatever you're going through, and just give yourself to God. Say, I'll wait for you. I believe you're good. I believe you're with me. This trial that I'm going through is yours. I give it to you. I will wait. I will trust you. You're God and I am not. Father, for the testimony of your word. Thank you that we can see and we experience as we wait and trust that you are good. Thank you that you are in control of everything that comes to our way. Nothing passes into our lives that doesn't first pass through your good hands. And so now, God, we choose to do our part, which is just trust and believe and obey you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.